Is God real? Are the stories in the Bible true? I need answers. Welcome to A Closer Look with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you chose to spend the next hour with us as we delve into the study of God's Word. We can't do what we don't know. Here at Shiloh, we want to spend time studying the Word so that we can rightly apply the Word to our daily living and make a difference in our community and in our world for Jesus Christ. Won't you join us now for a closer look into God's Word? When you get your notes, it'll say Micah Part 2. Micah is mentioned, but it's less about Micah and more about the state of Israel at that time. Remember how chapter 18 opens. We told you this last time we were together. Chapter 18 opens with a most telling statement. In those days, there was no king in Israel. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And then in the 17th chapter, it says everyone did as they wanted to do. I'm paraphrasing. But everybody did what they wanted to do. To do. That's the case here. And what we see is what happens when we do what we want to do. With no direction, with no guidance, even when there is sincerity. Sincerity that's wrong is still wrong. It, it, if I am sincerely wrong, it doesn't change the fact that I'm still wrong. So, so some people like to think that sincerity somehow covers the fact that you're wrong. It doesn't. If I sincerely believe that two plus two is five, it doesn't change the laws of mathematics. It, it simply doesn't. My, my, my sister, when she, was, when, when she was little, used to write her threes backwards, used to write her E's backwards, and used to write on the wrong side of the paper. And you couldn't convince her that it was wrong. I don't see what's wrong with it. Blah, blah. And, and my mama got so frustrated one day, she just started whipping because she couldn't get her to, to flip it over to the right side of the paper. Sincere doesn't change the fact that it's wrong. I bet you she figured it out after that whipping too. You take that out of the, no, that's all right, you can leave that. So, so, so then when we're talking about this situation, we're really talking less about Micah and more about the state of Israel. Not as a nation, because at this point, they're not a nation, they are a confederation of tribes, but the spiritual state of Israel, which existed because their worship was not correct. Now that, that's what we wanna focus on with regard to our introduction. For our worship of God to be real, it must be aimed at pleasing God, not at pleasing self. See, when everybody does what he wants to do, when everybody follows his own mind, then he's not interested in pleasing God. He's interested in pleasing himself. Worship must be intentional. Let's start with that. If we worship God correct, we don't worship him by accident. It has to be intentional. We don't worship him out of habit. It has to be 
intentional. Why is that important? If worship is not intentional, then it's not genuine. If, if the only reason why we come to the Lord's house is because it's Sunday and not because we expect to have a true encounter with the Lord through the corporate worship experience, then it's not intentional. It's not genuine. It's not authentic. And no one benefits from it. There's no purpose in ceremony. Turn in your Bibles for just a second to Amos chapter 5. We covered this in the, in the evening Bible study last week where we're going through the minor prophets. But what, what he says in chapter 5 is appropriate to what we're talking about right now. And I'm reading it from the message version because uh, I like the way it sounds from the message version. Amos chapter 5, starting with verse 21. I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. I've had all I can stand of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want? I want justice. Oceans of it. I want fairness. Rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all I want. This speaks to the whole aspect of sincerity and intentionality that the worship must be God directed and not self directed. And the fact that Amos writes this in his book of prophecy lets us know that the problem of narcissism isn't a 21st century problem in the church. There were narcissists before Jesus ever came on the scene. And there are still narcissists today. There are still people who only think in terms of themselves. What this is to me, what this means to me, what this is for me, what this does for me. But if our worship of God is to be correct, then it must be intentional. Second, our worship of God finds its fulfillment in how we treat one another. It's not just songs and prayers and proclamations. It's not just offerings and it's not just uh, holding positions within ministries. Our worship finds its fulfillment and how we treat one another. Because it's in how we treat one another that we show our true feelings about God. James chapter one, verse 27. Religion that our father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. In other words, for our religion to find its purpose, it must 
be reflected in how we treat others rather than just what we say. Anybody can say I love the Lord. True love for the Lord is shown in how we treat one another. James also says a few verses later, don't just listen to the word, but do what it says. So genuine worship finds its fulfillment in what we do in how we treat one another, which leads to the third point. Then we're going to get into the verses. And that is worship must move from the realm of ceremony to the realm of daily application. In other words, if all you have is a Sunday religion, you ain't got much. Last time I checked, the way we measure off days, there are seven days in a week. Right? I think I got there. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. <laughs> so if all you got is Sunday and you ain't got nothing for the other six days, you ain't got much. It's like when we were kids and, 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 and we used to say that you, you, if you told a lie, ooh, you lied on church ground. <laughs> or, ooh, you cussed on church ground. As if cussing somewhere else is okay. <laughs> or lying somewhere else is okay. Some of us have just, oh, it's Sunday. I can't do that on Sunday. Even, even our, our, our state laws, our, our city laws said that, 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 well, for a long time it said, you could buy liquor six days of the week. But on Sunday you couldn't buy. So y'all rushed to the store on Saturday night to make sure you... Amen. The law said it. But we need to have more than a Sunday religion. There needs to be a daily application of what it is that we do. When our worship of God moves from ceremonial to daily application, then we have become what God is seeking from us. So the questions that, that, that we need to ask ourselves when we talk about this worship is why do we worship? What do we expect to receive from worship? And how does worshiping in God's presence properly equip us to live in his presence and serve others in his name? Those are the questions that I want you to, to, to consider as we look at the second part of, of this Micah Story. Last week we were introduced to Micah and, and, and as we said, we, we started off with him being in a bad position. He stole money from his mother, 1,100 pieces of silver from his mother, uh, which she had cursed and he brought it back, hoping that she would lift the curse. And then we find out other things about Micah, like he had his own house church. Uh, and uh, within his house church, he had this whole array of, of, of idols and, and, and these were the places where he worshiped. He didn't have his own preacher so he made his son his preacher and, and, and the son became the priest for the house church for a long time until 
it so happens that a Levite passes by. The Levite is looking for a place to live, looking for a place to work. And Micah says, oh, you're a Levite. I'm going to hire you. Why don't you come and stay with me? And in exchange for you staying, for, staying with me and, and, and being my, my church priest, my, my house church priest, I'm going to provide you with a place to stay. And, and, and the Levite said, that's a pretty good idea. I think I'm going to take you up on that. Now, I need you to keep all of that in mind because when we get to the end of the story, we're going to see what the problems are that exist. Ready? Here we go. In those days, there was no king in Israel. But also in those days, the tribe of Dan was looking for a place to settle down. They hadn't yet occupied their plot among the tribes of Israel. The Danites sent out five robust warriors from Zorah and Eshtaol to look over the land and see what was out there suitable for their families. They said, go and explore the land. They went into the hill country of Ephraim and got as far as the house of Micah. They camped there for the night. As they neared Micah's house, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. They went over and said to him, how on earth did you get here? What's going on? What are you doing here? All right, who are the Danites? The Danites are the descendants of the tribe of Dan, who was one of uh, the sons set to inherit land, one of the sons of Jacob, who was set to inherit land when they moved into the promised land. What are we told about the Danites? We are told that while they were supposed to inherit land, they had not occupied the land that they were supposed to inherit. If you go back and do your research, you will see that the territory that was set aside for the Danites was just west of the territory of Judah, and it extended to the Mediterranean Sea. But the land that they end up occupying by the time we get to the end of chapter 18 is north and east of where it was supposed to be, 30 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. In other words, it wasn't the land that they were supposed to have. Taking possession of this land, which is what they end up doing, raises questions. Questions like, why didn't you take the land that you were given? What was the problem that, 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 that you were given a plot of land, but you refused to take it? Questions like, if you didn't take your land, and you're about to take this land, whose land is it that you are taking? And if it's land that was set aside for another Israelite tribe, then aren't you stealing from your kinfolk? Remember how 17 started. Micah stole silver from his mother. And in chapter 18, Dan is getting ready to steal land from one of its sister tribes. Or I guess you could say brother tribes since they're all named for men. We must assume that the Danites stole this from one of their fellow Israelite tribes, which means that they were taking a path of least resistance. And in so doing, 
They were taking possession of a territory that was not theirs in favor of what they said they wanted. Remember how we started. Worship of God must be intentional. And worship of God must be according to God's standard and not our own standard. If God has given you something, who are you to reject what God has given you in order to assume ownership of something else? No, God, I don't want this. I want that. No, God, I, I don't want to settle here. I prefer to settle over there. And why, Dan? Why, why don't you want what I gave you? Because it's too hard to get. They're looking for an easy place. They're looking for a place where those who reside on the land are least likely to be able to prevail over them if they come into combat with them. Remember what all of the book of Joshua is about. All of the book of Joshua is about Joshua leading the people into the promised land. And once they come into the promised land, it is their responsibility to clear the people who reside in the land of that space, either by prevailing over them in battle or subduing them and making them slaves to them so that they can occupy the land. We're not going to argue the morality of slavery or of war. We're going to talk about what the scripture says they were supposed to do. All the other tribes did what they were supposed to do except Dan. Dan decided we're going to do it our way rather than do it God's way. Can I tell you that there's an inherent danger whenever we decide that we're going to do things our way? instead of doing it God's way. When we do it our way, we're not concerned about anybody other than us. You're not concerned about how what you do affects somebody else. Wasn't this nation built on that kind of a principle? That's all right, you ain't got to get quiet. I know I'm right. I've read my history. I know. It's funny how we say that, that, that America was discovered. By Columbus in 1492. See, y'all even know the year. He discovered a place where folk already were. And he declared a place where folk already lived to be the land for Spain. Because even though he was Italian, he flew under the Spanish flag. I told you, I read my history. He declared it for Spain. And not long after Columbus, other groups came across the ocean. And they took land, parcel by parcel, acre by acre, mile by mile. And all the folk who lived here, before they ever got here, were forced off of the land that was theirs into reservation. Now, now, now you tell me, 
Did they have those, feet, those people's best interests at heart? No. They only had their own best interest at heart. This is, this is the prevailing attitude that exists within America. It is the attitude that has made America what it is. Now, if you think America is great because of that, God bless you. We're not going to talk politics today. Only, I'm only going to say this. When somebody says, make America great again, and we know what it is that they thought made America great in the first place, this sense of manifest destiny, this sense of, 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 of we need it so God gave it to us, God put us here so that we could take it and forget about those people who are already here. In fact, we're going to put them in little corners and we're going to go get a whole other set of people to help us build this land that, that God said is for us. If that's your idea of make America great again, you have an interesting belief system about what true worship is. This country is built on a lie. It's, it, it, it is built on the false premise that God somehow ordains and approves of the enslavement and the deprivation that certain groups brought upon this nation in order to conquer it and make it what they want. And then once they conquer it, they write laws that say, if you do anything to, to try to change back what we did, you're a law breaker, we're gonna put you in jail. Amen. This is where we are. Now, get mad if you want to. I ain't saying nothing but the truth. This is, this is the problem when we follow our own mind rather than follow what God says. There is, there is no way that God is pleased by what we have done. Does that mean that, that we can't get right, that we can't do well in spite of? No. But let's not fool ourselves. Let's not lie to ourselves. Let's not pretend that how we got here was just and moral and holy and righteous. Because it wasn't. And it isn't. And yet we, we elected someone who said that he was going to do certain things to help all of us. But up to this point, two years in, he's only helped. You filled it in. You did well. This, this is where we are. And, and, and that's why I find this so significant because this isn't just historical. This is relevant to our contemporary time right now. 
So they, 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 they come across this, this fellow, Michael. We don't know whether they recognized him based upon his accent, that he was from southern Judah, whether they recognized him because they had come across him in the past. But they asked, how did you end up here? Verse 4, he said, one thing led to another. Micah hired me, and now I'm his priest. They said, oh, good. Inquire of God for us. Find out whether our mission will be a success. The, pri the, the priest said, Get, go assured. God's looking out for you all the way. The five men left and headed north to Laish. They saw that the people there were living in safety under the umbrella of the Sidonians, quiet and unsuspecting. They had everything going for them, but the people lived a long way from the Sidonians to the west and had no treaty with the Arameans to the east. When they got back to Zorah and Eshtael, their brothers asked, so how did you find things? They said, let's go for it. Let's attack. We've seen the land and it is excellent. Are you going to just sit on your hands? Don't dawdle, invade, and conquer. When you get there, you'll find they're sitting duck, ducks, totally unsuspecting, wide open land. God is handing it over to you. Everything you could ever ask for. You see that? Now, I told you when, when, when we looked at chapter 17 last week, one of the things that the author does, the writer does in, in these last chapters, 17 through 21, is he doesn't speak in declarative statements that this was right or this is wrong. He simply tells you what happened. And he leaves it up to you to decide whether it's right or it's wrong. But he does give you this cover statement. There was no king. And the people did everything that they thought was right in their own eyes. That, that, that's all. He, he doesn't say what they're about to do is wrong. What they're about to do is sinful. He leaves that up to you. You make up your own mind. Well, let, let me put it to you in practical terms. Let's say that somebody comes by your house where you live the house that you built, with all the stuff that you put in, with the cars that are in the garage, and the food that's in the pantry, and all the furniture in every room. And you don't have a security system, and you don't have weapons in your home uh, to defend yourself, and somebody comes along with about 20 people in a truck and they come up to your door and they knock on your door and they say we declare this house and all of its contents to now belong to us and we declare it in the name of God God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God spoke to us and told us that this house and all of its belongings and all of the property and the cars and everything else belongs to us and you need to get up and get out of here. How'd you feel about that? What would you think about that? You, you, 
You can't shoot them. Somebody said you'd shoot them. You can't shoot them. I just said you ain't got no weapons. Y'all weren't listening to the... There are no weapons. Police station is too far away. They've already taken your cars. You can't go to the police station. You go to call, they've cut all the phone lines, so, so, so you can't call. Read what it says. They found people who were sitting in a place, living under the umbrella of somebody's protection, but the people who were protecting them were too far away to do anything about it. And they had no arrangement with the people who were closer to them. In other words, those folks don't care. Let's say that your next door neighbor, you and your next door neighbor don't get along. I know that's true for some of y'all, but let's just pretend. So, 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 so you got a next door neighbor who's sitting right there and they could help you fight off these people who are trying to take your house, but they say, you know, it really ain't our problem. They didn't come take our stuff and you didn't give me a fruitcake at Christmas time this year, so I, I really don't care what happens. They looked for the path of least resistance. They looked for the best thing they could find where they didn't have to put up too much of a fuss. And they said, we gonna go take this stuff and we're gonna declare it to be ours. And we have this added bonus. The Levite told us that God said, it's okay. God said, go right on. Everything is going to be all right. I want you to notice something. Uh, when, 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 it, when he says that the priest said, go assured. Look at verse five. Oh, good. Inquire of God for us. Find out whether our mission will be a success. Does it say that the priest went and did anything? Does it say that the priest said, okay, stay right here. I'm going to talk to the Lord. I'll be right back. Does it say that, 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 that the priest went and grabbed one of the idols and rubbed on it? E even to give the, the pretense that he was talking to the Lord? It's, it, it looks like they asked the priest, what does God say? And without even thinking, the priest responded by saying, God says everything is fine. It sounds like some of us. When we do what we know is wrong, When we do what we know is evil, it does not help us to get somebody to sanction our evil in the name of the Lord. Some of us shop till we find the right preacher. This preacher ain't saying what I want to hear. I ain't, I ain't gonna stay here. And so, and so, and so they shop, they, 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 they go to XYZ church around the corner and that preacher, uh, he ain't saying what I wanna hear. So they go to ABC preacher downtown. And, oh, 
Lord, yeah, now, now I got me a real preacher. We shop till we find what we want. Here's the thing. If he's not saying what thus says the Lord, if she's not saying what thus says the Lord, I don't care where you shop. I don't care how long you shop. You're still going to end up with the wrong thing. And you're going to end up with a, with, with a sanction that only confirms what you want to hear. I always like to go back to, to diet and food because that's something I know something about. <laughs> Every now and then, that, that there's an urging inside of me that says, you really need to cut down on what you eat. You need, to, you need to do this and you need to do that. You need to eat more healthy and all this other kind of stuff. And then I'll hear something on TV that says, eat as much red meat as you want. <laughs> Scientists have been saying for the last 150 years that Red meat is not good for you, that your body doesn't digest red meat the way that it should. But a new study just came out that said that some red meat is good for you. And I will cling to that one study <laughs> over all that other stuff. You know why? Because it said what I want to hear. Coffee is not good for you. There's too much caffeine. There's too much of a stimulation to your body and it causes problems. And what, about six months ago, somebody came out and said, you can drink six to eight cups of coffee today. And coffee's a good thing. Because I found the study that says so. See, in my subconscious, I'm always shopping for somebody who tells me that what I'm doing is all right. And I venture to believe that everybody in here is shopping for somebody who will tell them that the wrong that they're doing is okay. You're hating somebody you, and, and, and you've been hating them for a long time and you know hate is wrong. Jesus told you hate is wrong. But you ain't listening to Jesus. You shopping for somebody who, who will say, Baby, I understand how you feel. I'd hate them too. <laughs> Unforgiveness is, is an evil thing. It's a sinful thing. Lord, how many times should I forgive my neighbor? Ain't seven enough? No, 70 times seven, which means as often as someone has wronged you, you should forgive them. That's what Jesus says. But you're looking for somebody who says, I wouldn't forgive them either. All of us are shopping for somebody who will tell us what we want to hear. You know how I know that? Because there, this was a time when there was no king of Israel. And everybody did what was right in his own eyes. Do you see the connection? This is, this is our weakness. This priest didn't do anything. They asked. And the priest said, go ahead, it's okay. And since it's what they wanted to do in the first place. Do you, do, 
do you remember when, 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 when God, not a priest, when God told Gideon, go up and fight against these people. And Gideon said, sure, God, but first, I want you to make this fleece wet while the ground is dry. And second, I want you to make this fleece dry while the ground is wet. Gideon made God work to get Gideon to agree with God. But when the priest says to these folk what they wanted to do in the first place, they said, oh, yeah, let's get up and go. And we've got God's sanction to go do it. We're not that far removed from the Danites. We're not that far removed from, from, from these people because all of us are simply looking for somebody to say yes to what it is that we want to do. You want somebody to co-sign on our wrong. And somehow or other we think that because we get a co-signer that makes it okay. Now, if you co-sign the wrong, guess what? It's still wrong. So 600 Danite men set out from Zorah to Eshtael, armed to the teeth. Along the way, they made camp at kiriath Jerim in Judah. That is why the place is still today called Dan's Camp. It's just west of kiriath Jerim. From there, they proceeded into the hill country of Ephraim and came to Micah's house. The five men who earlier had explored the country of Laish told their companions, did you know there's an ephod, teraphim, idols, and a cast god sculpture in these buildings? What do you think? Do you want to do something about it? So they turned off the road there, went to the house of the young Levite at Micah's place, and asked how things had been with him. The 600 Danites, all well-armed, stood guard at the entrance to the gate, while the five scouts who had gone to explore the land went in and took the carved idol, the ephod, the teraphim gods, and the god sculpture. The priest was standing at the gate entrance with the 600 armed men. When the five went into Micah's house and took the carved idol, the ephod, the teraphim idols, and the sculpted god, the priest said to them, what do you think you're doing? They said to him, hush. Don't make a sound. Come with us. Be our father and priest. Which is more important, that you be a priest to one man or that you become priest to a whole tribe and clan in Israel? The priest jumped at the chance. He took the ephod, the teraphim idols, and the idol and fell in with the troops. Reverend Johnson just said what I wanted to say. Isn't that something? Ain't that interesting? Look back at the tail end of chapter 17, right at the bottom. Verse 10. Micah said, stay here with me. Be my father and priest. I'll pay you 10 pieces of silver a year, whatever clothes you need in your meals. The Levite agreed and moved in with Micah. The young man fit right in and became one of the family and became one of the family. Micah appointed the young Levite as his priest. This all took place in Micah's home. Micah said, now I know that God will make things go well for me. Why, I've got a Levite for a priest. Do you see that? 
Turn back over to chapter 18. They said, hush. Don't make a sound. Come with us. Be our father and priest. Which is more important, that you be a priest to one man or that you become a priest to a whole tribe and clan in Israel? The priest jumped at the chance. He took the ephod, the teraphim idols, and the idol and fell in with the troops. What happened to being one of the family? That, that, that's what it said in 17, right? He was one of the family. But by chapter 18, well, daddy, it's time for me to leave now. I'm, 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 I'm picking up my stakes. I thank you for everything that you've done for me, but it's time for me to move on someplace else. Here's a very practical thing for you to, to, to remember. Folk going to do what they going to do. Don't get too caught up in folk. Don't put your trust in folk. I have people from time to time who, who, who come to me and, and, and they want to talk with me and they're so upset with somebody. Somebody said something to them or somebody did something to them and they're just so upset. And they usually come around to the point where they say, and I never thought so-and-so would say that to me. I never thought so-and-so would do that to me. And therein lies the problem. You put way more confidence in folk than folk can handle. I heard somebody back there say deserve. Here's the thing, don't nobody deserve it. It's not about deserving. It's about than they can handle. If somebody falls off of a pedestal in your eyes, the question is not why did they fall? The question is why did you have them up on a pedestal in the first place? You want to know how, how, how to keep from being disappointed by folk? Lower your expectations. If you got somebody up here, it's just a matter of time before they're going to fall. But if you got them Follow me, Terrence. If you got them down here, they gonna mess up. But the fall is far less damaging, both to them and to you. I don't know how I'm gonna function. Everything that, that I thought I knew my whole world has been turned upside down. If somebody's mess up has turned your world upside down, you had way too much trust yeah. in them. 
Every now and then we sing a song here. Time is filled with swift transition. Not on earth unmoved can stand. You better build your hope on things eternal. Hold to God's unchanging. Y'all know what the second verse says? Trust in him who will not leave you. Whatsoever years may bring. If by earthly friends forsaken, still more closely to him cling. Lower your expectations and people can't disappoint you so much. People at the end of the day are still people. I don't care whether they're your spouse. I don't care whether they're your sibling. I don't care whether they're your parent. I don't care whether they're your child or your grandchild or your great-grandchild. Because some of y'all in here are old enough to have them. People will disappoint you. I'm not saying it like, I'm, like, like I appreciate it. I'm not saying it like I like the fact that it's true. But it's true. And, 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 and one of the ways that you can insulate yourself from devastation, not from hurt, because everybody's going to be hurt, but from devastation. I'm not talking about people who are hurt. I'm talking about people who are devastated. You can't eat because so-and-so did this. You can't sleep because so-and-so did this. Let me tell you something. I've, I've had people hurt me. And you can tell I've eaten just <laughs> fine. At some point, you have to learn that people are limited. There's only one who's worthy of your trust. And that's the Lord. Micah sees these folk coming in. Go ahead and read the rest of the page. They turned and set out, putting the children, the cattle, and the gear in the lead. They were well on their way from Micah's house before Micah and his neighbors got organized, but they soon overtook the Danites. They shouted at them. The Danites turned around and said, so what's the noise all about? Micah said, you took my God, the one I made, and you took my priest, and you marched off. What do I have left? How can you say, what's the matter? The Danites responded, don't yell at us. You just might provoke some fierce, hot-tempered men to attack you, and you'll end up an army of dead men. The Danites went on their way. Micah saw that he didn't stand a chance against their arms. He turned back and went home. This was at a time when there was no king of Israel. And everyone did as he thought was right in his own eyes. 
Don't you find it interesting that the man who is introduced to us as a thief is upset because stuff was stolen from him? Now somebody's sitting there saying, oh, that's poetic justice. I, I, I just find it ironic. Read, read, read the start of chapter 17 and he's introduced to us as a man who stole and didn't steal from a random person, stole from his mama. And here he is upset because stuff has been stolen from him. That, 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 that's one piece of iron. The second thing is, is how tragic are his words. You stole the God that I made. You stole the God that I made. If he's a God that you made, must not be much of a God. You stole the God that I made and the priest that I had to help me worship the God that I made. You've left me with nothing. And yet you're going to sit up here and ask me, what's wrong with me? What's wrong is that you took all my stuff. If our God is self-made, you ain't got much of a God. In the year of our Lord, 2019, we don't, most of us, I shouldn't say not all of us, because I don't know what all of us do. Most of us don't worship idols of silver or gold or pearl or wood or whatever. But we do have idols. We make our children our idols. We make other people. We just got to talk about people and how people just want. We make people our idols. We make self our idols. We make our careers our idols. We make them our God. We make our groups, our cliques, our idols. And, 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 and when those things are taken from us, we feel like we have nothing left. Here's the true statement. The statement he makes is not true. He says, you've taken this from me and I have nothing left. The true statement is, you didn't have anything in the first place. He didn't have anything in the first place. What you had was a false sense of security that you had built up based upon a lie. And all that happened was you found out that the lie was a lie. And it leaves you feeling helpless. It leaves you feeling hopeless. It leaves you feeling defenseless. This is the tragic result for all those who place their trust in false religion. When good things happen, it's because our religion is right. But when bad things happen, well then all of a sudden, it's a failure of the system that we have built up. 
when the system was corrupt to begin with. Now, you ought to ask the question. I got six minutes left. You ought to ask the question. Why would, why, why does God allow this stuff to happen? What, what, why is it that God lets us go through these machinations? Because God is sovereign and he made you to be sovereign. And he wants you to worship him out of your own free will. Not because he's forcing you to do so. And so when these things happen, they ought to be learning experiences for you. And from this learning experience, you ought to grow and develop and mature to the place that you realize, well, my problem is I put my trust in the wrong thing in the first place. And so I need to turn from that which is false to that which is true. I need to turn, I need to be like the boy in the hog pen. One of the greatest passages in scripture when it says, he came to himself. In the hog pen. He came to himself and realized that he had been wrong. He built his life around the wrong things and he turned his life around. The problem for some of us is we get in the hog pen and we stay there. We've been in the hog pen for 25 years. It's going to get better. Not as long as you stay in that hog pen, it ain't. This is a learning experience for him. Micah realizes that, that he can't prevail, and so he goes home, and he goes home with nothing. We don't hear anything more about Micah, but we do hear this, and, and, and this is where I want to leave, four minutes. So they took the things that Micah had made along with his priest, and they arrived at Laish, that city of quiet, unsuspecting people. They massacred the people and burned down the city. There was no one around to help. They were a long way from Sidon and had no treaty with the Arameans. Laish was in the valley of Beth Rehob. When they rebuilt the city, they renamed it Dan after their ancestor who was a son of Israel. But its original name was Laish. The Danites set up the God figure for themselves. Jonathan that's what I wanted to get to. Jonathan, son of Gershom, the son of Moses, and his descendants were priests of the tribe of Dan down to the time of the land's captivity. All during the time that there was a sanctuary of God in Shiloh, they kept for their private use the God figure that Micah had made. Two points, three minutes, two points. Point number one, up to this point, we don't know the Levite's name. It's only at the very end that we get his name and his connection. His name is Jonathan, and he was the son of Gershom, who was the son of Moses, which means that he was Moses' grandson. Moses' grandson is now serving as a priest for hire. And the tools of his trade are not the worship of the true and the living God, but the worship of idols. His place of ministry is not Shiloh, which is about six miles from where this place is. 
but is in a homemade house. Not to the entire group of people, but to one tribe. And really not to one complete tribe, but to the portion of a tribe. What does this say to us? It says that it wasn't that the proper place of worship was so far away that he couldn't get there. Six miles ain't that far. Not even on foot. It's that they worshiped as they pleased because there was no king of Israel at that time. They worshiped as they pleased. They did what they wanted to do. If you don't get the point yet, minute and a half, let me try it this way. Stop making up reasons why you can't do what the Lord told you to do. Because that's, that's really what you do. You make up stuff. And you satisfy yourself with the lies that you tell yourself. To make it okay that you're not doing what the Lord told you to do. See, if you're not loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if you're not loving your neighbor as yourself, you're not doing what the Lord told you to do. And all the other stuff that you do. Sing, preach, pray, run hither and yon, to and fro. All that other stuff does not make up for the fact that you still don't love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you still don't love your neighbor as yourself. It's not that you don't know how. It's that you don't want to. It's that you have built up your own religion. You, you, you have built up your own system and you have decided that this is good for me. Give me that old time religion is good enough for me. We like to sing that. But the question needs to be, what is your old time religion? Because some, somebody's old time religion ain't what the Lord would be pleased with. Didn't I just read from Amos where he says, I can't stand all that stuff y'all do? Two generations removed from Moses. And this boy is doing what he wants to do. Worshiping in a house that was not set up to the living God. Worshiping idols, which he knew.